Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, hour number two of Craig Mish and Joe Ranieri here with you on the show. If you're looking for some baseball conversation, you can just hit that little rewind button. It'll take you back to all the things that we have discussed thus far on the show. Also, a great tool on YouTube is also to take a look at the uh, play-by-play, essentially, of this show. It'll tell you exactly what we talk about and when we talk about it. But we continue our conversation in the world of fantasy sports, and we move over to a little... NFL discussion, Joe, and uh, yeah, there are some things happening. We have the draft coming up as well, and the NFL is really in uh, what I would say more of a prime spot right now mm-hmm. because they still, lucky for them, have a few months before there any real decisions have to be made. We know that the draft is going to be going on. As you talked about with me off the air, it looks like some wagering opportunities will be there as well on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Of course, both uh, online is probably the best way to do it at this point. So you have to be living in the states where it is legal. But at least that the NFL has this sort of news cycle that's going on right now. Yeah, they do. And, and, and thank goodness for that in so many different ways there. But uh, listen, this is one of, the, I think, one of the uh, more important drafts that we've had in a while simply uh, because it's going to be new. It, it's going to be in a format that we've never seen before. You have general managers and presidents already bitching and moaning about the fact that they don't want to do it for whatever reason. They don't feel like it's, it's fair and they don't have enough time. They've already had a combine. They've, all that film that they've got on these players since pretty much high school and all throughout college, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting because of the amount of first-round talent we've got. We're talking defensive playmakers, and of course, we're talking the possible future franchise quarterbacks all coming in the first 32 picks here. So this is a big draft on a lot of levels, including kind of being unique, the first of its kind that's going to have a fantasy draft, which is basically what it's going to be, Craig. That's what it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, a lot of interesting names that are going to be involved Mm -hmm. in that as we get closer to the draft. Joe and I will dive more into that for sure. Um, All right, so let's kind of start off with some of the news of the last 24 hours in sports, which isn't a lot, but at least guys are talking and saying different things. Uh, Chargers have moved on at quarterback. At this point, we know that. And I think, Joe, it's going to be some sort of rookie quarterback that inevitably is going to be drafted by them, whether it's with their first-round pick, second-round pick, or somewhere else. Uh, free agency, for the most part, has more or less come and gone. I don't see them going that route with anyone that's still out there at this point. Right. Uh, so Tyrod Taylor is probably going to go into the season uh, as their starting quarterback. And uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, told NFL.com that uh, he is going to, quote, turn heads as a starter in the NFL. Now, um, look, Tyrod Taylor, really good college quarterback, without a doubt, uh, has had his opportunities and I think has made the most of them, especially with the Buffalo Bills in the past. But now taking over a Chargers team where he definitely has the weapons, the question is, will he turn heads? Will he turn reality heads? Will he turn fantasy heads? Seems to me that similar to his situation in Buffalo, I think he's going to end up being a placeholder for whoever they end up drafting. Hey, listen, he is what he is, right? He's not going to uh, all of a sudden become this, uh, this unbelievable franchise savior. It's not what he is. He is a quarterback, though, that has proven if you put – the right scheme, the right players around him, and put him in a position to be successful, uh, he can do that. But he is not a guy himself that is going to elevate a franchise to that next level, and that's what the Chargers really need, and that's why this draft is so important to them, because they have an opportunity sitting at six to go get that next-level guy. It's not going to be Tyrod Taylor under any circumstances, Um, so they're going to have to figure it out. Who's that going to be? Nice placeholder, but he's got more weapons here than he did certainly in Buffalo at any one particular time. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think that with Taylor, when it comes down to it, uh, statistically, uh, yeah, he can throw. Yeah, he can run. It's just a matter of him 
making mistakes or not making mistakes, which is really, you know, something that he's prided himself on through the years is just not throwing a lot of interceptions and kind of being a game manager mm-hmm. and uh, and keeping himself in the game. But, uh, Joe, the Chargers still do have a lot of weapons regardless for him. Mm-hmm. Do you get the sense that, uh, you know, when you're into this and you're looking at some wagering opportunities that you'll be predicting that the Chargers do take a quarterback at some point? Because I don't think that they're going to end up with Tua. So it would be a matter of do they bite on Herbert, do they bite on Love, or do they just go like midway through the draft or something else? Depends on who they're sold on the most. Now, the interesting thing about the Chargers is, let's face it here, guys, they've got, they've got four starting defensive backs. They are all young, and one of them can absolutely uh, be trade bait there. If maybe number three, Detroit, who lost Darius Slay, uh, who's sitting in a pretty good position, I think they've got the assets to be able to go up a couple of spots and leapfrog Miami. If they really love Tua, if they really love Herbert, if they're convinced that either maybe that Miami is going to pick their guy, I think they have the assets to go up there. But they also can sit put at six, depending on what Detroit and the Giants do. Right. If you're happy with either Herbert or, and if you're satisfied with either Herbert or Tua, then you're just going to sit there at six and go, whichever one is left to me, I'm here, I'm good. Because the teams above them are not taking them. So there is, and nobody below the Chargers is going to move up and leapfrog them to get a quarterback. So the price is just going to be too much. So the Chargers theoretically could just sit where they are and take whichever quarterback Miami doesn't, and they'd be more than happy with either Herbert or Tua because nobody else is taking them. Let's face it, it's going to be Chase Young, it's going to be probably, if I'm the Giants, an offensive lineman uh, to protect Daniel Jones. So Miami's the only team you got to worry about. But if you're happy with either or, you're not moving at all. Yeah, no, I think that that definitely will be the case for sure, um, especially from Miami's point of view. The only thing that they could do is just move themselves up a little bit to ensure uh, that they end up getting Tua. And I think that that's the direction that they end up going. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of a deeper discussion as far as these interviews are concerned. The other piece of news that came out, uh, interesting, of the NFL uh, is the idea that the Pittsburgh Steelers could potentially be drafting a running back. And that's interesting for me because, uh, you know, I know that James Conner had more of an injury-plagued season last year than he did the year before, without a doubt. Um, I really like Benny Snell at Kentucky. I've talked about him a bunch on my show they took him, I believe, in the third or fourth round uh, last year. And I think that he could be the sort of workhorse that they're looking for in that one-two combination with Connor and Snell. They've used other guys also in the past, Joe, but I don't think that they're really viable. So uh, taking a look at both these running backs and what they ended up doing last year, for me, I thought the Steelers were in okay shape there, but it seems as though they want to upgrade. Yeah, they do want to upgrade. And and you got it here, and we got actually the stats from these uh, for these two guys here too as well. When you look at what they were last year, are, are we worried about James Conner from a health standpoint? Um, is, is that really? I mean, if you're the Steelers right now, uh, you know, he was going to be the answer to Le'Veon Bell, right? You lose Le'Veon Bell, you got James Conner, but uh, kind of a shortened injury. The way they play in Pittsburgh, they need a back that can do a whole lot of things, right? So they went from having that for so many years. Now, all of a sudden, James Conner, you can't stay healthy. I think they're just going to keep drafting running backs. They're just going to keep trying to find that, uh, you know, dime a dozen type of thing, guys they can kind of plug and play that can produce because they're only going to win as long as Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy. So, to me, I think they just keep trying to, uh, in the draft, kind of keep putting weapons around Big Ben, who the clock is ticking. Is there anybody left? I mean, Eli's gone from that draft. Now you yeah. got uh, Rivers is in a new location. Big Ben is it, my friend. That's and and they're gonna go as Big Ben takes them. Yeah. Would you be willing to in a fantasy league, Joe, uh, dive back in on Connor if they didn't bring any significant competition to him, or would you be worried about? I, think the, hand, the I mean, what's your choice? Because you know what they're gonna run. I mean, they're not gonna be a. Roethlisberger is not gonna be a guy who's gonna throw it 50 times a game. Like it's right. just not. They have to be able to have that dual threat where a guy that can catch passes out of the backfield can be that, you know, that safety valve for him and a guy that's going to be able to, uh, you know, rush for 80 yards a game. They're going to need that or they're only going to win four games, and they know it. That defense should give the offense enough time to be able to control the clock, and that's when Big Ben is at his best. So uh, I, I, I'd be hard-pressed if he came to me in the draft being like, do I not go with Connor here? It, you'd be kind of hard yeah. for us not to. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see which way the Steelers end up going. The other part of this, uh, Joe, is that uh, in life and in general, a lot of people are not able uh, to get together and do these sort of uh, interviews like they did in the past. And, um, you know, starting with the NFL, do you think that, you know, I mean, I have no idea how teams are going to be conducting their uh, pre-draft interviews, and a lot of it is going to be the via the way that we're doing this right here on the show. Right. Um, I mean, is that... Is that viable? Is that safe? I feel like the the cross-checking is not going to be nearly as good as it would have been, although uh, they've had an opportunity to see these guys in college, but but I don't know what to degree they were able to talk to them because of tampering issues with the kids still being in school. So um, it creates a dynamic that we've never seen before, I think, at the very least. Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny. I think, I think they'll have, and the NFL has said, that teams will have as much access to be able to talk to these guys as they want, uh, potential draft picks. So of course, yeah. there's no there's no substitute for face-to-face and getting a feel for a guy, right? But uh, they're going to have every opportunity to do exactly, I think the NFL is, I think they can talk up to, up to three times a week or something a lot. There's a rule that was in place there, but I think they're laxing that rule, giving these teams, you want to call them on Skype and Zoom 100 times a day, be my guest kind of thing where... You're not going to be able to get them face-to-face, so talk to them as many times as you want. Yeah, and I, and I think that there's really no choice, and it also you know, begs the question, Joe, not just in football, mm-hmm. but in life as well. Uh, you know, I, I, is this going to be part of life's interviews yeah. over the next six months to a year and how we kind of have to adjust speaking to different people and even hiring people in our process. I know a big part of just hiring people in general on the local level, wherever you live in the country, in this country, is essentially the way that it used to work before this pandemic was, uh, you know, you got a resume from somebody, whether it was online or in person, and then you got that person to come to your job, and then you talked to them and decided based on meeting the person in person if you were going to hire them or not. And I think that that's going to go for even after we're done with this for a long time, a lot of that's going to be done the way that we're doing this right now. Yeah, I think it's also, um, it's interesting, too, because what are you going to learn? I, it, teams are very resourceful, right? So even in times of pandemic that we are in right now, uh, a team can figure out if Cam Newton is healthy enough, right? If they really wanted to know, there's a way to be able to go figure out if Cam Newton is, is uh, healthy enough. There's a way to figure out the real nitty-gritty of guys if you're worried about any sort of background problems, those kinds of things. You have all the information on these players you could possibly need. So I think what might happen this year is that those question marks, you know, the the Des Bryants or the Blackmans coming out of, you know, Oklahoma State back in the day where, I don't know, there's some red flags. you got a decision to make. I I don't know talking to a guy face-to-face is going to give you any more uh, comfort or be let you sleep better at night knowing that, you know, if, if Aaron Hernandez comes walking, is available in the draft, that can be a different. Are you not taking him in the draft? Are you, is that where we're at right now? Because everybody and the mother talked to him coming out of college. He ended up with Bill Belichick, didn't he? So I, I don't know that there's anything more they can find out anyway that they don't already know about these. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I know that even from a baseball perspective, the scouting and information starts very early on in that process immediately uh, after the June draft of the year before. Like the top and the, guys, you know? Yeah, and you find out about that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you would think that essentially talent is going to win out no matter what. Yes. The good news is, is for a lot of these coaches that are in the NFL that are having to make these decisions – in all likelihood, they have relationships. Yep. And I think that that may be more of a predominant theme after you get through the first two rounds of this year's NFL draft. I agree. That relationships with coaches that yep. you've had in the past where you can just pick up a phone or make a call, like a Bill Belichick and call a Nick Saban, right? Yep, I agree. Like, like not everybody can do that, and maybe that's potentially where uh, they put their advantages in there. Uh, another interesting story mm-hmm. that came out of the NFL over the last couple of days was the idea that Tom Brady was essentially recruiting his way onto the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> and I found that really curious, Joe, because that yeah. kind of meant that he almost had no plans of returning to New England. And I wonder what's in the water there that he didn't like so much. I don't think it, it was anything. I think he got the cold shoulder from, I think, Belichick and company made it very well known that, yeah, we're not calling you because we're really not yeah. that interested. So I think Tom, uh, you know, Tom's a smart man. So I think he was... 
given his, knowing who was interested in him, if I'm Tom Brady, am I really not going, am I going with Anthony Lynn over Bruce Arians? Am I not going to those weapons? I, I think it was an easy decision for him. I think in his heart of hearts, he would have went if they would have given him any oh, sort yeah. of inclination. He'd have been back in New England, but given his choice, I think once he, he felt that Belichick was like, yeah, we're good, uh, you know, it's time to move on. I think that's when he picked up the phone and was like, hey, uh, we'd love to come down and turn this into a, uh, you know, a winning franchise. So he was just taking care of himself. Yeah, and listen, good for him. I, I'm honestly happy that Brady was able to go through all this yeah. uh, and at least have a, a, a pursuit in free agency. And I've talked to different yes. players in the game before, and and you really don't realize um, that, you know, it's a team sport, and, and uh, not everybody could be like LeBron James and become a free agent like eight times over the course of their career. Doesn't matter. Um, and they, but they like that pursuit. They, you know, everyone wants to feel wanted. It's right. the same thing just in in life. Like if Joe or I are being pursued mm-hmm. by radio or television stations, there's like ten of them out there. I mean, who doesn't want to feel right. like that? Yep. Brady's really never had that opportunity to say like, what am I worth? What do other people think that I'm worth? And we just just assume that uh, because his wife is so wealthy and because he is so wealthy that all that doesn't matter. But self worth is you know and is always important to people and. Yeah. And I think that what you're saying, Joe, is really does make some sense. If he yeah. wasn't really hotly pursued to stay in New England, he wanted to uh, go through this process. Yep. And it does look like um, at least one team in Tampa Bay uh, made that final decision for him to stay. But who knows? There could have. We'll we'll find out at some point. Like and priorities it, change when he was 20s yeah, in his 30s, guys. He's in his 40s. It's a it's a different ball game, man. It's just a different ball game. Yeah, and look, Dan Marino at one point when he retired, people don't remember this, but Dennis Green and the Minnesota Vikings yeah. pursued him Wanted him. Uh, yes. very hotly, yep. and he decided to stop. Yep. Uh, you know, Brady is, and by the way, Brady's playing at a higher level than Marino was at the end of his career, but uh, look, everybody has to make their decision based on family, based yep. on life, and I think in this point, Brady definitely has that little chip on the shoulder to show that he can still play for sure. Yep. Uh, we'll take a quick time out here on Sports Grid. we got plenty more to come here on Fantasy Sports today. And we would ask you to stay tuned. Or if you're watching on demand, you can just hit the rewind, hit the fast forward. However you like watching the show, stick with us here. we got new programming for you every single day. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mitch, Joe Ranieri with you here on the show. In case you missed our show earlier this week, We had Clark Spencer, formerly of the Miami Herald. We interviewed him talking about uh, horse racing and just what we can expect in the future there. So we thought we would replay that for you. That's coming up uh, in about uh, 15, 20 minutes from now. But before we do that, let's get back to some uh, baseball and some fantasy baseball conversation. Mm -hmm. If you missed yesterday's show, we talked about relievers, closers, and how it potentially could affect the game. And Joe, who knows? There could be a lot more changes going on uh, with baseball, and especially as we kind of dive deeper into what's happening in the world the season does kind of shrink shorter and shorter it's just essentially they're running out of time uh there's going to be a 2021 season and they're not going to want to truncate that they already have the world baseball classic being played in 2021 as well that's a really big uh, deal for sports and for baseball so uh, as we talked about earlier in the show here in the state of florida it looks like there's nothing happening in april and even into may and if this does go to June, Joe, it does beg the question, what kind of regular season games in baseball will be uh, will be looking at Absolutely. and how that could affect doubleheaders and how that could affect games that are tied at the United Innings? Yeah, I, and I know there's there's been a lot of discussion about shortened season and uh, what do you do in a shortened season if we're looking at doubleheaders, right, condensed schedules, no all-star game. There is some concern about you can't have games go 14, 15, 16 innings, Greg. Right. We saw a lot of those games, um, and we've seen a lot of those games over the last couple of years. And I think the, the fear is that 
with less days off, right, and less days for, and it's not about coddling these players. It's about creating a, a bad product, that if you have a couple of these games in succession, that there's going to be there's going to be a problem. Like, what we see is not going to be what we get. I mean, we're, it, what we're used to is not what we're going to see if we're taxing bullpens, arms, pitchers, bringing up guys from AAA, you know, the the ripple effect of having to deal with those kinds of games in a short and condensed season, I get it. Uh, the product will suffer, no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, when they discussed putting a runner on second to start yeah. after, like, the 10th inning, how, how did that rub you when you heard about that? Is that something hate, that you I, could buy I hate it. Like, part of me is, like, one of the, you know, throws up a little in my mouth when I hear it. <laughs> and I'm just like, right. you got to be kidding. Yeah, like, absolutely not. But listen, there's a little baseball purist in all of us. I think um, so. But yeah. this is so unique, right? This is so first time there is. I get it. It, it is to me kind of we're all in a situation that we it's uncharted territory. Um, the problem, the biggest problem with all of this, you can come up with whatever rules you want. Um, right. You've got milestones. You've, you know, nobody lives in the rearview mirror better than baseball. Uh, it's one of the best sports that is, you know, back in my day, it, this, you're talking about a year here where it's going to affect records, milestones, yeah, you know, Verlander getting to 300, guys getting the hits, and it's so strange that, you know, you're going to put a guy on second base to start the 10th inning. How is that fair to all those guys that played prior? That's going to be the big argument, and will baseball just say, relax, guy, relax, baseball purist. Um, you know, we got to do this for the betterment of the game this year. Not moving forward, but this year. Yeah, and, and the point with that is, is, look, at the very least, we know that there will be doubleheaders played once a week. If we're talking about playing doubleheaders twice a week, yeah, like – I mean, how many innings can one team play? Like, how many players can you have available for yep. those games? And, yep. you know, honestly, um, the idea of having to face three batters minimum, which they put that rule change in for this year, I'm surprised that they haven't rethought that. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, at this point, yep. I guess it I guess it makes the game shorter, and that's kind of what they're searching for already. But, right. you know, for me, I, I would just prefer – to just not have any kind of restrictions on anybody this year. You may need to use uh, as many pitchers I as agree. possible. I um, agree. I mean, hockey okay. uses ties, right? But when the playoffs come in hockey, you can play to 100 innings. It don't, you yeah, know what I mean? Right. And that's kind yeah, of the idea. Just get through that condensed season where you don't have these. And listen, nobody loves a good seven-hour, you know, 18-to-18 uh, 18 18 game, you know, going into 4 o'clock in the morning. Greg, we all love them, and, and we've gotten a few, but – the reality is, how feasible is that in 2020, guys? If we're only going to play 90 games, 80 games, um, you really want to be taxing bullpens and, and star players and, and with no days off anymore? It's, I understand it. These players aren't built like, you know, the guys in the, in the past who, you know, had second jobs and stuff. It's not that era of baseball. It's, uh, it's a different game. And there's guys making $250 million that are sitting on the bench you can't have him play and get hurt in a 17-inning game in game number 33. Yeah, no, you can't have any of that. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Chris Sale ended up uh, yeah. finally un undergoing uh, Tommy John surgery. So, mm -hmm. of course, we have Noah Syndergaard. We have Chris Sale, yep. uh, you know, both being out for the season. A little bit different situations with both. Syndergaard uh, will, I mean, they'll both m miss all of this season. Yep. and They'll both miss a significant portion of next season. But, you know, specifically as to Sale and to the Boston Red Sox here, Joe, um, look, they, they had no idea what was going to happen here. And if they did, obviously, you know, uh, they did the right thing by trading Mookie Betts because yes. they got two players back for a player that, by the way, may not play a single game this year if they don't end up playing any games. But the Red Sox are really in one of the more precarious spots, I think, in baseball going into the season. Mm -hmm. uh, their total started off at about 84, 84 and a half. Before this all happened, it was shooting down, heading toward the 582, 83 uh, sort of win mark here. Uh, they still have enough talent. They still have an opportunity, I think, to compete regardless of what the situation is because they still have J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, a lot of good offensive players. But I'm wondering what your thoughts were uh, even before all this happened. I thought that even with Sale, getting around 500 was going to be an uphill battle for them. Does it simply become 
as long as they beat up on the Blue Jays and the Orioles, they still have a chance to win 85, 86 games? Or are you just completely out on them this year? I'm completely out on the Red Sox this year. I mean, listen, I was, it was even before this, I was very iffy on them. Too many distractions, losing Mookie Betts, getting rid of Mookie Betts, which you had a feeling was coming. They were never going to pay him. You know, the minute they started dismantling and starting with the, you know, the general manager last year, halfway through the season on down, bullpen wasn't addressed. It was always an issue. They never really did a good job last year of answering the bell on that. Chris Sale's losing two miles an hour on his fastball, and everyone thinks it's just because, ooh, you know, he'll, uh, he's got to stretch it out. Like, no, guys, they, it, it, it doesn't work that way. You don't go from throwing... 94, 95 to 91, and all of a sudden, you're going to stretch it out. Like, there were issues there. And a lot of people, the rumblings you notice about Sale is that a little bit overused early on in his career and that, uh, you know, some He fought problems. through it, though. We he thought he'd did. be hurt every year. I, he really did. But, I mean, that 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 check is going to have to be cashed at some point. So, yeah. I, uh, I, I kind of thought the, the signal and the red flags with the Red Sox Last year, you get rid of the general manager, who, by the way, signed those checks, uh, you know, for guys like Sale. Uh, and you- I, I still don't know how I feel about that one, Joe. I mean, look, yeah. I know Dave Dombrowski, you know, of course, here from his days in Miami and right. did a great job in Detroit. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I suppose that they were upset that he signed all those guys to huge contract extensions. Yes. And the one that he maybe should have was Mookie Betts, and I get that. But, Joe, like, you got a World Series out of this thing. They fired him the year after the World That's Series. That's what I'm saying. It's uh, what – I don't know what the – see, to me, it, it got – and this happens every year, Craig, does it not? Or it happens every time you have a franchise where they were the lovable losers for so long. Like, they were just a little engine that could, of right? Course. They just yeah. they got so close. Expectations change. And then all of a sudden you win one. The same thing happened to Madden, I think, in Chicago, where all of a sudden it was just, you know, get to the playoffs and come on, this will be our year. So now you win one and all of a sudden you're going to win every damn year? Like, I don't, I, I didn't understand it, but something was going on there where, you know, John Henry and the rest of that ownership group were like, yeah, no, man. Like, this is – and listen, egos in play, too, including with the – so uh, somebody was butting heads somewhere along the line there, and he was the first domino to fall, and I thought that was a pretty big domino at that particular time. Yeah, it's funny that, um, you know, the Red Sox, you know, were also uh, accused and apparently were uh, cheating and doing similar things. Alex Cora lost his yeah. job over it. That's correct. Um, and we still haven't gotten any clarification on that. But that's, you know, when you're looking at a win total like that, and I don't mm-hmm. know when the number is going to come out, but I think that what you have to ask yourself, and it's probably a point well taken of being out on the Red Sox this year, yep. is what intention have the Red Sox shown thus far that they are in, that they are in on this year? Yep. Right? Like, I mean, they've hired a new general manager. They're going to have a new manager. They don't have bets. They don't have price. They don't have sale. What attempt have they made with losing all of those players? What have they added that makes you think that they even have an intention of competing? And the answer is really not much. I think Colin McHugh is the only thing they really, um, you know, added. There really wasn't a lot beyond that. So it could very well be a matter of, Joe, that with everything stacked against them, unlike Houston, who definitely yep. seems to be pushing toward being right back in it again and hiring Dusty Baker, the Red Sox seem to be maybe going the other way. It made total sense. I mean, you got to hit the reset button, and why not uh, now? Is there a better time to, to hit it than now? And I get the sale, surgery, unloading price. You're not going to pay a dude $400 million. That's not what you want to be tied to over the next couple of years. So uh, I... I get what they're doing, you know, and every now and then you've got, and maybe that's the way of baseball. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the way we're heading, Greg, where it's do what you can do in these five-year spurts, these four or five years, spend the money, do what you got to do, and then and then the, start over. The Marlins yeah. did this, guys, before it was fashionable, right? And, and we right. roasted but the them. Thing is, but the thing is, Joe, is that, is, and, I, and I get what you're saying, and I think that you're right. And look, even the, look, the Cubs have lost for so long that nobody was going to pay attention to that, and they didn't care. That's a big market. Yes, um, I agree. The White, yes. the White Sox did the same thing, yep. and they're, they're building it back up. But, like, I guess when you look at it, the question that you have to ask yourself is, like, can the, can the Red Sox go all the way down and get away with that? I don't think they can. I think that they could get away with, like, being where they are now mm-hmm. and making, making a deal at the deadline. Well, there's no deadline, but making right. a deal that would, that would get them, you know, in the 500 mark. But, like, for example, and I'll give you an example. Like, San Francisco. Right. 
how long did they keep pushing to just try and stay 500, right? And try and stay relevant. Longoria's contract, Posey's contract, Brandon Crawford, Belt. They never tore it down until this year, and they're still not even fully tearing it down because they still have those guys under contract. Yep. Same thing with the Cardinals, Joe. They they cannot go into a rebuild, right? Yep. Like, it's it's not possible. So, I mean, is there a team out there that appears to be winning right now that may essentially go into a rebuild? The only team that I look at that I say that has that possibility because they're kind of on the edge of still being good but being bad would be the Indians. Like, yes. that is the one team that if they lost Lindor, they already traded Kluber, if the pitching goes south. Yep, um, yep. Would would th- would that be the team that just gets rid of all of everyone, goes back down to 60, 70 wins and loses for a few years? I mean, that's that's the one team that comes to mind with me. Well, I mean, you're right. There are some teams where if and some markets and cities that that just won't be tolerated in. Uh, it just won't. I mean, and again, we talked about it the other day. I don't think people in Houston, well, people in Houston do, but I don't know a lot of other people that remember how awful they were guys i mean 100 lost seasons guys back to back. i mean they were terrible in hopes of blowing it up and starting it from scratch and building yeah. it but you know listen the giants holding on to, to Bumgartner last year in the hopes of you weren't making the playoffs like and that was a big mistake they got nothing but it was bruce Bosey's last year like that's the problem a lot of these classic franchises are battling history the old school fans you know uh, season tickets it's Bruce Bochy's final year, what are you going to do? Trade the guy that he won all those World Series? You know what I mean? It's like, it was a tough spot for them. But I think the more the Yankees become relevant and the Red Sox aren't, that's more pressure. Um, And then you have the franchises like Oakland and Tampa every year who have amazing farm systems and hold on to players just long enough until they got to pay them and then they ship them to the Yankees anyway. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and that's not a bad way to go. One of the one of these years that's going to hit. Like I think we all need to come to that realization. I think it hits. It's just it, it hits enough to get these teams to the postseason show. It just never hits enough to win the whole thing, you but know? For like them, You know what I mean? To be able to do that and uh, it kind of reshapes what teams and general managers think they can do. I mean, listen, people are ripping um, you know, Jeter down here for a couple of years, not because of Jeter's doing it the right way. He, he, he had no choice. He had to get rid of these bloated. Con- you got to start from scratch, guys. You got to build it up from the youth throughout the organization. It does. There's no other. I don't know that you can half-fast it. Even if you, you know, even if you're the Red Sox, I don't know that you can half-fast it and expect those uh, kinds of know. results. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, look, they got. You know, their new general manager, uh, Heim Bloom, was with the Rays. Yep. So you would think that there's a chance that they sort of, um, mm-hmm. you know, hit that reset button and start it like that. It's just yep. there's some teams that it's very hard to send that message. Um, look, San Francisco's doing it now that Farhan Zaidi has come over from L.A. because L.A. essentially did all of their minor league mm-hmm. scouting and international scouting, and that's how they built their team and also through the draft. He's going to do that with the Giants, but... That Giants model of the last five, six years, you know, going after, I think they had Andrew McCutcheon, if I'm not mistaken, yes, for like I, like yeah. a day. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Yep. Too. Yep. you know, those sort of things don't work. The Band-Aids don't work. You're right, Joe. It's just some franchises, and Boston is one of them at this point. How do you tell fans, hey, look, 65 wins this year? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. You know? All right. Um, mm. We'll take a uh, another time out here on Fantasy Sports Today. And when we come back, we talk a little horse racing. Yes. Uh, Former Herald uh, writer Clark Spencer Mm -hmm. is an owner of one of the horses that you saw run in the Breeders' Cup on Sunday. Yep. So make sure you stay tuned for that interview. We'll also talk about some baseball as well. And then Joe and I uh, will take another time out and uh, we'll send it over to the rest of the day of programming here on SportsGrid. But just as a reminder, Fantasy Sports Today is now airing in our normal spot every day from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you catch us every single day here on the show as we break down everything happening in sports and in life and just everything in general. So we'll be back with a lot more here on Sports Grid on Fantasy Sports today, a horse racing conversation in case you missed it from Monday's show. That's coming up next. Game time decisions. Our first guy that got it in the National Football League 
and that, of course, is Sean Payton. He thought that they should postpone NFL free agency due to the coronavirus, and, you know, the NFL obviously has gone forward uh, with it. Uh, as a betting man, Cam, I'm willing to bet it that he got it at the track. Yeah, <laughs> so. some old guy. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Friend of, friend of the Saints. Uh-oh. The Sports Grid Network. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Sports Grid Network. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Ranieri once again with you here on the show. And in case you missed any live sports yesterday, believe it or not, there was one major live event in sports that we were all tuned into. Too bad it was only a couple of minutes, Joe, because that's kind of the problem is that uh, horse racing. I mean, yes, you could watch all day long from all the different uh, you know horse tracks out there. But the one in particular that I wanted to talk about today is, of course, the Florida Derby. And joining us now to talk about that is a uh, former writer for the Miami Herald, Clark Spencer, who actually is a part owner of Goodwood Morris, who was in the race yesterday. And Clark, thanks so much for coming on Fantasy Sports today here on Sports Grid. How are you? Uh, great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Clark, I think that for most people who follow you and they know your past history with baseball, they may be surprised to know that you have a horse that potentially could be involved in the Triple Crown. So before we get into the Florida Derby and the results of that, um, take me through the process of basically changing your entire career of essentially retiring from the Miami Herald as a sports writer and then getting into racing horses. Well, um, you know, I retired at the end of February last year, and about that time I thought, okay, I took the buyout from the Herald, uh, retirement buyout. I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? I bought a set of golf clubs. I'm uh, lousy, uh, but it gave me something to do. And and then this, uh, there was a horse offer that came along. And my brother called me and said his next door neighbor had come over, been presented with this horse that you could buy into. And he wanted my advice. And I basically told her, hey, look, uh, don't go in this uh, expecting to make any money because you probably aren't. You, you go into it expecting to lose everything. And not that that's the most common case, but just to prepare yourself. And before you know it, lo and behold, we all got together and decided to buy two and a half percent of a $720,000 unraced two-year-old named Governor Morris. And I'm, I'm impressed that you actually pronounced his name properly, Craig. Yeah, I got that one down. Yeah, I made sure of that. Uh, actually, about th- I remember the last time we talked, you had mentioned it. So I, I did some research and and I looked it up. Um, okay, so uh, you you basically decide that you're going to get into this. Two and a half percent is still a nice chunk of change to invest in a horse. But in your wildest dreams, Clark, with all the investments that are made in different horses over the course of people's lives, I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable that the first time, or essentially one of the first times out of the shoot, you get a horse potentially that looks like a big winner or potentially has a chance to be a big winner. How did that happen so fast? Uh, pure luck. Uh, you know, I covered horse racing for the Miami Herald for 10 years. So, I, you know, I speak the language. I understand the game, but I had never owned a horse before. Nor, I mean, I hadn't really had any desire to own a horse until this came along. And um, we just got lucky. I mean, he's a well-bred horse. I mean, they, it, it, the fact that he sold for $720,000 right there is kind of an indication that you know the horse has potential based on his pedigree and and how he looked and and uh you know we just got lucky uh it, it was a needle in the haystack and you know we bought him i think in march late march and uh he didn't run for the first time until labor day uh, at saratoga so we had to wait a long time before he even ran which you know we knew we expected and boy his first race was at saratoga and you know he won by nine links and we're going whoa this horse is you know, this horse is pretty nice. Right, right. And, uh, you know, and then he ran again at Keeneland uh, in October in a grade one race. And grade one is the highest caliber of racing there is. And he finished second. 
So we knew he had a good horse on our hands at that point, and we just had to wait till uh, the spring of this year to see him come out. And we're thinking Kentucky Derby first Saturday in May. And of course, uh, as you know, with everything else that got postponed or canceled, baseball, basketball, uh, the Derby got postponed till September. So here we sit. You know, it's funny, Clark, uh, Craig and I, all three of us here in the South Florida, Miami and Broward area, um, there weren't a lot of people very happy that uh, Gulfstream continued with the Florida Derby. Some folks saying, what are we doing? Why are they open? Um, I'm of the mindset where you got to be, ca- I mean, we've got some assemblance of normalcy, but I don't think people understand the restrictions that were associated with the meet and with what was going on. There weren't owners on the track. There weren't fans. They've done pretty much everything in the racing industry uh, to protect it. It's a very close-knit family. It's not like there's a lot of people uh, who are unnecessary hanging out at the track. Was that your experience yesterday? Well, I didn't get to, I didn't get to go uh, to Gulfstream. I had to watch it on TV because they're not allowing owners or really anybody else into the track. And They've gone to extreme precautions. Uh, you know, they've got the gate crew and the outriders that ride the ponies alongside the racehorses when they come out for the post parade. They've got them wearing uh, masks. They've got gloves on. There's really no one at the track. Someone, I, I heard someone was at the track, uh, uh, a state congressman was at the track yesterday and commented there's more people at Publix right mm-hmm. now than there are at this track. And there's an important point to be made with with racing and i understand why people would have concern why are they being allowed to run and i can understand that viewpoint but you got to keep in mind there's a thousand horses back there on that backside, and you have to have people take care of them i mean they've got to be fed they've got to be exercised watered bathed uh it requires human care to to keep these horses alive and You've probably never been out in the morning during training hours, but there are actually more horses on the track during training hours than there are in the afternoon. So um, really, they went to every precaution they could. They're testing jockeys. They're taking their blood pressure, their temperature when they walk in every day to to make sure to, to, you know, to try to keep that element out of it. Yeah, and, and I want to get into that as far as what the future of horse racing could look like. But before we do that, let's go back to Sunday for a minute. So uh, obviously a, a couple of horses are scratched and uh, Gouverneur Morris comes in, uh, you know, not as the favorite, but certainly the odds looked like he definitely had a chance to finish in the top five. He ended up doing that. And I'm wondering what your thoughts were on the race uh, from watching it. It seemed like it was a little bit of a slow start. And then he came on very late, which I would think you'd have to be optimistic about considering all of the great races that are getting ready to happen or at least potentially could happen later in the summer and into the fall. Right. He finished fourth and, you know, he he was the only horse making up ground in the stretch. Um, He only got finished, missed out on third by maybe a neck. And um, we were encouraged after the race. This was only his fourth career race. Uh, He was up against the big boys. These were the best three-year-olds on the East Coast. Uh, Tis the wall, the horse that won. He's the real thing. I mean, the real deal. And you kind of have to feel for them because if the Derby was, in fact, going to be held on the first Saturday of May, they'd be sitting in the catbird seat yeah, right? true. with one of the favorites. And now being held off till September, you know, four months in horse racing is an absolute eternity. And so many things can go wrong. Uh, new horses arrive on the scene that are really good. So, uh, you know, kudos to them because he's a heck of a horse, tis the law. And, you know, our horse finished fourth and we're, we were actually encouraged by the race. You know, so we think the, our horse will go forward and improve from this point, but the, the problem is most tracks around the country are closed, so no one knows what's going to happen now with racing and and, and uh, just like anything else that's going on. You know, it was, it was funny last year when the Florida Derby, you had, um, you know, you had Saez, a maximum security, kind of led the way and slowed it down to the point where nobody uh, was going to be able to come and catch him. They just ran out of track. Uh, impressive with is the law with his ability just to kind of sit off the lead there. And then, um, you know, Manny kind of kicked him into another gear, and it was it was lights out from that particular point. And it was, uh, I got to tell you, he if he's not, he should be at least close to being the favorite whenever, September 5th or whenever it may be. Uh, that's, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty impressive, not only a trip, but a pretty impressive horse uh, moving into that Kentucky Derby. Oh, by all means. I mean, like I said, he's the real deal. 
There's no shame losing to him. Uh, mm. We were no match for him. The rest of the horses were no match for him. But, you know, it, it was March 28th, and September 5th is a long way, and a lot can change, and it, ha and it changes often and rapidly in horse racing. So, you know, we think we can get our horse back on track, and they're going to – I don't know what they'll do with Tis the Law now. I, I would assume give him a break. Mm. Uh, has enough points to qualify for the Derby already, so maybe give him a little break and, and then kind of wind him up again uh, late summer. That's assuming tracks are open. And they're racist. So that's a big assumption at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, it is for everything, Clark. And, and I know that you covered baseball uh, for a long time as well. And, and to be honest with you, baseball is probably an easier proposition than a race like the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont Stakes or the Preakness. Because, yeah, I mean, there are some baseball parks in the country in New York and St. Louis and California where they are getting 40,000, 50,000. But you're talking about astronomical numbers being poured in to those three races, and I think that, Clark, I, I don't see any scenario where the Kentucky Derby is going to race without fans. Like, that is a monstrosity of a fan event. Mm. I mean, you have, you know, 15 hours going into the Kentucky Derby for a two-minute race that day. Um, so is, is the thought process that? Like, does it make sense the way that they're doing this and the preparation for September? And what would be the plans for the Belmont and the Preakness? Well, you know, Churchill could have conceivably done what Gulfstream just did, and that's run their premier race without any spectators. There's no ambience whatsoever yesterday. Um, and it wouldn't be the same thing at Churchill Downs, Twin Spires, and an empty grandstand for the Kentucky Derby. You know, I don't even know if they'd have a band playing my old Kentucky home when they came out right, of the track, yeah. for that matter, right? So, um they're, the plans are really uncertain what they're going to do with, say, the Preakness, which is the second leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont, which is the third leg. I mean, you could see, you could conceivably see them run the Preakness and the Belmont before they run the Derby. And, and you know, it would change things. It wouldn't be traditional, but that might be their only option at this point. So, you know, Churchill wants fans in there, and they're hoping by September 5th things will sort of eat up, ease up and, and they can they can pack the place and everybody can have their mint juleps and wear their big hats and all that stuff, and you can have a normal race. It would just seem so, I mean, I can't imagine starting with the behemoth of the Belmont and then working your way backwards because the Triple Crown has always been about Listen, if you can win those first two legs and then you can win the Belmont, then by all means, Triple Crown, that's exactly, uh, you are the best horse, horse of the year by far. And then what do you do with the Travers? I, I mean, you know, conceivably, if, if things, and, and we're all hoping, obviously, things get a whole heck of a lot better here uh, in, in the very, very near future, you know, we could end with the Travers and the Kentucky Derby uh, to end the kind of year. And then, of course, you got to worry about the Breeders' Cup coming up just after that. So, you know, the Travers, Kentucky Derby, will that end this Triple Crown race or will that be the beginning of it? I, I, you know, it's got its pros and cons, but boy, oh boy, talk about an industry that's always lived in the rearview mirror. That would be a tough pill to swallow for some of the, uh, you know, the purists of the industry. Oh, right now, yeah. Like you said, the Travers is scheduled presently at Saratoga one week before the Derby. And, you know, I would assume, and I'm just assuming here, that they would turn the Travers into like a major prep race going into the Derby mm. uh, um, and maybe move it up uh, late August, or not late August, I'm sorry, late July, early August, and use that as a, as a key prep, like the Florida Derby normally is, you know, or the Santa, or the, or the, uh, uh, Santa Anita Derby in California. So they're going to have to do a lot of juggling with the schedule. I don't know how they're going to figure this out. But, you know, I just hope our horses involved somehow, you know, in the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Clark, let's uh, let's kind of wrap up with this. Uh, aside from horse racing, I mean, you've covered sports and been a writer for decades. You're a huge college basketball fan, a huge SEC basketball fan. Um, you know, they wiped out that tournament, unfortunately, for us. You know, not much that can be said for that. Uh, the end of the college basketball season just came and went without March Madness, for sure. Uh, in your lifetime, Clark, of covering sports, I mean, has there has there been anything ever like this? Do you think we'll ever see anything like this again? I mean, it's a scary time just for people trying to live and stay alive during this pandemic for sports. For us, 
and and I can only imagine for you, for all the years that you've done it, have you ever thought that anything like this would be experienced? And and in you watching and reading and seeing everything on television, uh, is it surreal for you like it is for us too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, how can you how can you foresee something like this happening? I mean, there's there's been nothing even remotely close to this in my lifetime. I mean. Right after 911, you know, baseball shut down for a week, but then it resumed again. I mean, we're talking months here, um, and um, it's it's just bizarre. I, I look, I can't even. I, I know there's a lot of the sports channels are showing replays of classic games, and I, I don't want to watch a replay. I want to watch the real thing, you know. And and I, I can't get into watching the 1988 Game Six of the World Series, you know, or, or even the Marlins games. You know, I was—it's already happened, you know. So um, yeah, it's really strange. I don't know how this is going to end, or whether you know these sports are going to be able to resume again. You know, baseball. Are they're talking maybe the All Star break? Um, I've heard things like uh, maybe they would have the World Series be played in November and maybe even December. Um, and warm weather cities with domes, i.e. Miami could be one of those places where they have a neutral site World Series, which would just be crazy, um, even without the Marlins in it, most likely. So, you know, everything is going to be, you know, they're going to be doing everything on the fly now to, tr to try to bring it back. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely a strange day of, of living and a strange world we're all living in, both on the television and radio side, for sure. Uh, Clark, thanks again. Congratulations with all the yeah. success and this second uh, part of your career that you never thought that you would have your uh, owning a racehorse that potentially has a chance to race in the Triple Crown. Congratulations on that success and getting involved in this. Stay safe, stay healthy, and, uh, and we'll catch up again for sure right before we get into some of those big races uh, at Pimlico, of course, and uh, and of course at Churchill Downs. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Craig and Joe. Have a good day. Uh, all right. Thanks so much. That's Clark Spencer, former sports writer for the Miami Herald, now a part owner of a big-time horse on the horse racing circuit. And with that, we'll end our show today. Thanks again to my co-host, Joe Ranieri. I'm Craig Mish. We'll catch you again on Tuesday for another edition of Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Don't forget, like and subscribe to our show wherever you're watching the show, whether it's on Pluto TV, Zumo TV, of course, YouTube, SportsGrid.com. Make sure you let us know. And again, on YouTube, again, like and subscribe to the show. We'll send it to you every single day. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. See you. Game time decisions. I went to the beer store and it was closed. So I see these kids there, kind of like the neighborhood lurkers. I go up to the kid, I go, where do I get beer? He goes, go to Walmart. I go, Walmart? They sell beer? Ah, oh, of course they do. I go there, Gabe, no beer at my Walmart though. No, this location, alcohol free. I did find something else though. Uh, the Korean uh, markets uh, that stay open till 11, they have a lot of booze. That kid really pissed me off. He wasted my time. I went to Walmart and there was no booze. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.